Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to James Lloyd, the co-founder and CTO at Redox, and we discuss the advantages of reasoning from first principles, surrounding yourself with people who are passionate about overcoming challenges and understanding the problem before you work on the solution. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, buddy. Hey, Joel. How's it going? Fantastic. How are you, man? Doing great. So you're in Denver today? I am. I am. You're seeing the inside of my <laughs> my Airbnb while I tried to find a house. Oh, nice. So you just moved to Denver then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just moved here kind of permanently about a month ago. So Nice. Do you have an office there? Yeah, we do. We have a, um, we have a little co-working space kind of thing. There's a, a, a building that they just built that's all healthcare IT and uh, about seven floors of all healthcare technology companies. And uh, we have a little, little space in there. So uh, it's good. It's good company and good community there. So. Nice. Nice. So, so your my wife actually just um, applied to vet school out there. She applied to Boston and then out in like Denver. So I might end up being in Denver in a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's lovely here. I'm yeah, very pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, the the weather is really nice and the atmosphere is good. There, it's like it's got a young, cool vibe, and uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I like it a lot out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, but your I'll, team's uh, mostly remote. Yeah, yeah. We are we are distributed across um, across the U.S. So we've we just crossed the 100 employee mark and. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> pretty exciting. Um, and yeah, so we've got, you know, got people in every time zone due to the kind of nature of the, of what we do with healthcare. Um, we are kind of limited to only hiring inside the US. Um, there's some interesting restrictions around, uh, you know, doing, working, you know, outside of the, outside the US and having any sort of patient data cross borders and everything like that. So, um, we're we're kind of U.S. only, but yeah, we've got people in pretty much every every major city and all the time zones and everything like that. Well, that's really exciting. So sales, everything's distributed. Yep, yep, yep. We have I think we have six kind of small offices. If we coincidentally get a handful of people in a in a certain city, we'll help fund a little co working space or a place to to have kind of social events. But um, yeah, so we've got uh, yeah we've got people in pretty much every city in our our co-working spaces and, and kind of small offices are in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, Austin, and Madison. All the cool, all the cool places. Yeah. <laughs> all the popular tech places. So was, was it intentional? Like at the beginning when you were, when you were coming up with uh, this idea of growing this company, were you like, I want to be remote or did it just happen naturally? How, how did that come about? It was a little, a little bit of both. Yeah. So it was definitely, um, so a lot of the early employees, including the, the myself and the other two co-founders all worked at this company, a large healthcare technology company called Epic. And, um, they were definitely, uh, the opposite of remote, you know, they basically had their one headquarters, everybody had to live nearby. And, um, because of that, we, we kind of saw a lot of people who were really great coworkers who love their jobs but had to quit because their spouse got, you know, 
<laughs> got into veterinary school in a different state or something like that. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so we, um, you know, kind of saw that and saw, saw that as kind of disappointing and, and almost unnecessary due to, you know, technology that existed. And then the other, the other factor was whenever we first got started, um, we kind of knew a little bit about the team we wanted to build out in terms of who we wanted on it and what type of people. And, um, as we kind of went through our network and tried to find those people, um, they weren't nearby us. Right. And so, um, our first, uh, I think our probably our first five employees were, uh, were not in Wisconsin where we were and man, we just kind of, kind of rolled with it from day one actually. So, um, yeah. Nice. So I like your story because we did get a chance. Rarely do I get to talk to a guest before we have them on the show. So we had an awesome call last month and you told me about how the company got started out of like this incubator startup thing. Can you, can you elaborate on, on how you, how you went from that to taking over the world? <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not quite there yet, but <laughs> well, um, but yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, so me and the two other co-founders of, of Redox were at, uh, we, all three of us worked at a company called Epic, which is a large electronic medical record software company. Um, and me and one of the other co-founders, Nico, we both uh, left there kind of wanting to explore something a little bit more entrepreneurial. The, the company, I was there for five years, the company had grown from about 1,500 employees to about 8,000 employees in those five years. And um, the dynamic had totally, totally shifted. And, and yeah, it was just time for, to, to explore kind of what I could do on my own. And, um, during that period we were, um, kind of exploring like, what are the other entrepreneurs doing? What are the, where are, like the role models in, in Madison? And, and, you know, we didn't really find, uh, find too many people. They'd all kind of moved off to San Francisco or Boston or all the other kind of tech hubs. And, uh, at that point in time, we had really, fallen in love with Madison and wanted to stay there. And so the first thing we did was uh, work with a few other folks to set up a, basically a co-working space to, as basically a halfway house. There was a lot of people that come to, to the city, to Madison for either the university or to work at Epic or the, the state capitals there too. And there's just a lot of people who do kind of a two to four year stint for whatever brought them there. And then they, they leave. Um, so we were hoping that, you know, our hypothesis was if we make a cool place, that's strong community, then people will have these kind of serendipitous interactions and, um, something cool will form out of it. And, um, for the most part that, that hypothesis kind of proved out. So we, we started the covering space, got a bunch of really cool people in there. Um, and a lot of companies were getting formed and we, we set it up as a nonprofit. So everybody who was a member of the covering space also gave back to, other nonprofits and kind of community organizations um, across the city uh, because of that we could keep it really cheap. So we got lots of, lots of really good members in. Um, and at any rate, we, we started to see these people coming in with, you know, PhD in computer science and their project that they were going to try to tackle was like making the next Instagram or, or something kind of, <laughs> kind of flimsy or like people with like 10 years of hospital billing experience from, from the healthcare space and trying to get into social media or something like that too. And it was cool. Like it was, uh, it was, it was fun to watch them explore those opportunities. But uh, just over time we saw a lot of kind of underutilized skill sets that we thought we could help bring out if we started an incubator inside of the coding space. Um, so we, we started a, a healthcare um, technology targeted incubator. And um, at that point, uh, Nico and I started working with our, our third co-founder, co Luke, at that point. And uh, yeah, so we started about eight or nine companies through that, through that process, um, just kind of finding 
uh, finding co-founders or finding kind of the, the subject matter expert to build the company around. And uh, Nico or Luke or I would kind of augment their team however they, however they needed help. And so through, through starting all those companies, we, uh, we learned a lot about um, kind of the space and different kind of sectors within healthcare and a lot of the challenges that new companies face when they're getting started in healthcare and um, kind of behind the scenes. So being the, being the CTO for an incubator is kind of not a real, it's not a real job. <laughs> and so, so what I was doing mostly was building websites for people and then building some tools on the back end uh, that I thought could be shared across the portfolio of companies we were starting. And um, so one of those tools was, uh, uh, was this kind of lightweight, um, API that any of these companies we were starting could use to interact with, to exchange medical record information with health systems that they may be partnering with. Um, and so as we were trying to figure out how we uh, could fund ourselves as an incubator, we never really figured out the, the financial model. Uh, we just felt like it was the right thing to do and kind of hope that the, we'd figure something out on the, uh, as we were going through the process and, um, yeah, as kind of as, as we were going through that that process of trying to like raise money to be an incubator, um, we realized that the financial model really wasn't there. But all the folks who were trying to uh, get investment from kept pushing us to be a product company. They were like, "You guys have everything you need. Like, why why don't you just start a product company?" And um, you know, as we we kind of got that message for about the like fifth or sixth time, we were like, "Okay, maybe these guys are right." Um, we started to look around at you know, should we get involved with one of the companies we've started, or is there something else we could do? And around about that time, we, we started talking about this, this kind of platform that, that we were working on the back, uh, in the background and sort of shopped it out to a bunch of other startups, uh, some more medium sized health tech companies and, uh, you know, kind of proposed this idea of like, you know, single API, uh, highly scalable. You can go to any health system with it and, uh, you know, any, any web developer can interact with it. You don't need any sort of healthcare background to, to use it and kind of send out that, <laughs> that email to, uh, I think about, it's about 50 people and we got about 40 yeses back in, in like the next three days. And so we're like, nice. okay, I think this is a, this is a pretty clear decision, uh, pretty clear, like product market fit from, from sort of day one. So, um, that was, yeah, that was, that was kind of how we, how we first got started into, into Redox was through the, through the incubator and through building those, that, that kind of shared tooling framework for the companies we were starting. Nice. So I was checking out the values, right? Oh, cool. So Redox is the company, that's the name. Like that's what you ultimately called this company that is this API, this like single point electronic medical record API. Uh, and you have some really cool values, right? Being authentic. Uh, number two on, on my list, at least the list I have, uh, reason from first principles. This is a personal favorite of mine. Because cool. um, I first heard it come from Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And when I did, I literally have a recurring event in my phone <laughs> that fires off every quarter, every three months. And it says, revisit Think First Principles, because it's just something that as a human, I never want to forget because it's such good information. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, I think it comes a little bit more naturally, perhaps, because I, so uh, unlike maybe most uh folks you have on here, I didn't, I don't have like a traditional CS background. I came up through math and physics and, and in physics, you, uh, this is kind of at the core of a lot of what physics, uh, kind of training teaches you is, you know, to break everything apart into axioms and to try to challenge things at the extremes and, and really try to understand what the, the kind of fundamental bits of whatever it is you're, you're working on, uh, really is. So, um, 
yeah, and and you know the way it manifests in um, in the company is really to uh, give us a way to to kind of ask the question of like, do you understand the problem well enough before you start working on the solution? And um, you know, if you can't kind of answer why until you get to some sort of fundamental understanding of either the customer or the industry or something like that, then you could probably ask yourself why a few more times. And, um, and so, yeah, that's the, that's how it kind of manifests in the company. And yeah, it's been, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a useful value for us for sure. How did you come up with these? Were you all sitting around one day and you're like, we need this list or like, what was the moment in time that this list was created? I will say we've, uh, so the company is about five years old. Um, I believe this list is probably the, I think it's sort of the third iteration. Um, the first one was basically pretty, pretty quickly done. Um, and then we, we kind of iterated as we, as we grew as a company. Um, and yeah, it was mostly a collaboration between me and Nico and Luke, the three co-founders. And it was basically one, one weekend we just kind of spent and, and dedicated towards, towards coming up with this. And we went through a bunch of different drafts and everything like that and, you know, wordsmithing and everything like that. But um, yeah, it was, it was sort of a, an intent of, of trying to define sort of who we wanted to be and, and what kind of people we wanted to, uh, what, what kind of activities we wanted to, to promote and support and um, that kind of thing. Yeah. I like it. I like that it's alive, that it's something you continuously revisit, you change, you make sure that like, this is who we are and this is what we like to do. I like that you keep them alive. Now I do have some questions from the audience. So we like oh, cool. email us, ask questions through intercom chat, things like that. And so one of the questions is about um, viewing problems through the eyes of an entrepreneur. So as your company scales, as you go from a hundred to a hundred thousand, more and more uh, people are asking, how do we get our, our team members, our other people at our company to, to take ownership, like not to just bandaid the problem, but like to use common sense and figure out, like, think like an entrepreneur, like how, how will you and Nico and your other co-founder, like, how do you spread that throughout your, your teams? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have a silver bullet to go from a hundred to a hundred thousand, <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the, the way that we've tried to instill this is really through, um, just getting involved and, 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 you know, promoting and supporting people who are, who are doing this kind of work and kind of shining a light on it. I think w one thing that we do that's sort of related to our values, this might, this will get back around to the answer in a second, but, um, we have, uh, what we call redoxiness, which are a set of traits that we look for during the hiring process. And it's a, it's basically like a combination of, of five attributes that basically missing one is, is a disqualifier for, for the hiring process basically. Um, and they are humble, hungry, people smart, adaptable, and understands why. And so we have a, a, a big kind of repository of questions that we ask to try to understand that. But um, for the most part, the that kind of combination of being really hungry and ambitious while still being, um, you know, not very ego-driven and, and, and being very mission-driven and, and, and humble is, uh, is really a combination of people who tend to want to take on more and want to really look outside of their you know, specific job description and, and really see how they can solve the biggest problem. And um, so I think through that process, we, you know, finding people who are interested in just taking on something out a little outside of their job is, is, is pretty, I don't want to say easy, but you know, there, there, there are plenty of those people within the company. 
And so we just, uh, for me, I think it's about supporting and, and um, helping giving the, help, helping give those folks recognition uh, uh, whenever, whenever that happens and that helps spread it across the company. Yeah. So you, you, you take care of it early on, right? Mm-hmm. You say, these are the qualifiers like for our tribe, this is what we look yeah. for in people. And so, yeah, that's, that's an always an interesting thing because when I hear the large companies that have like the 10,000 people talk about digital transformation, they have a whole different set of problems because they have hired in ridiculously large numbers of people that don't align with what they want. And then they have to figure out how to transform, right? Which is really mm-hmm. tough. But I am curious, like on a personal note, um, so you oversee, like you have your two co-founders and you primarily focus on product. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess org chart wise, uh, we don't really normally talk about this. So, uh, and then it's quite this way, but, um, yeah, so I, I, I work with our engineering team, our product team, uh, our security team. And, uh, as of, I guess this year, our, uh, our strategy team as well, I, I kind of, kind of hit up. Um, so in, in healthcare, there's, there's lots of, and it may not be a normal team for a normal functional team for many companies, but for us, there's a lot of regulatory stuff. Um, and just as a developer platform, um, staying at, staying ahead of trends and, uh, kind of catching waves of, of, you know, what's coming next and doing that kind of, uh, market research is, is really important. So, um, that's kind of what our strategy team does, but yeah, yeah. So that's sort of who I work with most. So then your other two co-founders, um, who oversees sales? Yeah. So basically the, the, um, the three co-founders, so Nico is, uh, he's definitely sort of the, the, the face and the heart of the company. Um, but he's very sort of external and, um, does a lot of kind of meeting with people and, and spends a lot of time like kind of like out in the, out in the community. Um, and then in terms of sort of management of the company, um, that's sort of split evenly between, uh, me and Luke. And so I take kind of the technical teams and he takes a lot of the kind of business development teams. So marketing, sales, operations, uh, finance, looks like that. Nice. So yeah, the reason why I'm curious about this is because like recently I, we have a startup over here, right. Mm -hmm. That came out of the podcast and like leadership training company, but I was overseeing like everything and just like spread way too thin. And so recently I brought in someone to like oversee sales and marketing. And like the last three weeks of my life have been so amazing because like <laughs> working on product and like content, like I'm doing, I'm spending my time in the areas where I'm really strong. Mm-hmm. And that is like such a better feeling than spending the time in the areas where like I was trying to learn sales. Like I'd never done sales before. I built out sales team. It was very difficult. But the reason why I bring this up and I'm talking about it is like, have you ever found yourself in that position where you're spending a lot of time on something like you're really not good at and you realize that you have to apply your strengths elsewhere? Has that happened to you yet? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I really enjoy the the process of being forced to learn something new. But I think the the skill that I've had to fail at to then know that I needed it <laughs> is um, is kind of when to when to kind of get off the, the, the treadmill, like when you stop learning and you're just doing the activity that's kind of way outside of what you should be doing. Um, and, and knowing when the right time to kind of step away from that is. So early on, we were going from about 10 to about 30 employees. Uh, that growth was sort of all on, uh, on my teams. And so I was basically doing like full-time HR and recruiting and interviewing and stuff like that, which was, 
and I'd done a few interviews before and, and things like that, but that was, that was definitely a, at a scale that I hadn't really uh, dealt with before. And um, yeah, I think that, that was probably the one that comes to mind the most of, of just sort of getting into a spot of <laughs> being focused on something that was totally outside of my normal domain. Um, but it was cool though. We, we developed a lot of process that the company still has today around, around hiring and, and um, yeah, it was, it was fun to learn and it was also fun to, to be able to step away from that whenever yeah, it's, it's fun to learn and it's fun to delegate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you end up getting an, an HR person yet? Cause I mean, you're about right around hundred people. So usually that's yeah. the only time to do that. So the, the, the trajectory of that was actually pretty cool. When we, um, we first started the company itself was just really just kind of like engineering and sales. Like we didn't really differentiate marketing and sales. We didn't really differentiate product and engineering. Um, it was really just sort of two teams and, uh, within those, within the engineering team, um, I was trying to basically establish that we should have somebody in, somebody in charge of like tech management, somebody in charge of like people management and somebody in charge of like product management. And, and that kind of, uh, played out really well. Um, and the person who was in charge of the people management of the engineering team is now our, uh, company-wide VP of people operations. And so he's oh, cool. sort of moved out of engineering into a kind of a company-wide role. And now we have a team of five people who do talent acquisition as well. So like full-time recruiters. So, um, yeah, we've, we've definitely grown that team, but, uh, uh, it's really fun to have somebody who is a, um, comes from an engineering background and a very kind of thoughtful systems type thinker, uh, working in, in the people ops domain. So, um, it's fun to be able to talk about like, how would, how would our company work if we were all microservices and you know, things like that. We, get, <laughs> we get to kind of explore some of those areas of, of, um, really embracing that. Um, I don't know if you know Conway's law, but it's basically that the structure of the organization, uh, will inevitably directly mirror the structure of the arc, the like technical architecture. So if you have like a really, um, you know, kind of highly centralized team, then you end up with a highly centralized architecture. If you end up with like decentralized team, decentralized architecture. So, um, yeah. So is this pretty new? Is this new or no? Cause I haven't heard of this yet. No, I don't think so. I, uh, I, I bet it's from the seventies or something. Uh, I'll I, research it. Yeah. I'm interested. Cause it started to remind me of like, I thought you were going to go like Peter Drucker, like where the internal mass scales like uh, <laughs> on the organization, but no, the Conway's law sounds really cool because like people, it's people that make the technology, right? Like as I interview all, all these awesome leaders like you, mm -hmm. They, what happens is over and over, they end up saying how important and surprising it is that it's about the people. Like individual contributor, you're highly focused on like the task and the, the tactical technology. But as you like step back and look at the organization, you realize that whatever the people value, like those, they're producing a product that mirrors who they are as humans. And that's like really high level, heady type concept, yeah. but it's, it's truthful. Totally, totally. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would completely echo that, that that is the, the single biggest kind of realization or learning that I've had over the course of the past five years is, um, yeah, you know, go, going from basically being a, an individual contributor for about the first 10 years of my career. Um, and, and just how important it is to be able to build strong relationships and build strong teams. Yeah. You know? So I'm really curious to know, because you just went through this, it's sort of fresh. You said you saw that you had your engineering teams and product and then they split, right? So now they're separate, product and engineering are separate. Mm -hmm. how, how do you split? I'm sure there's someone listening that wants to know, like 
at what point are you like, they're different and we split them and like, how did you split them? Yeah. Yeah. So the initial split was pretty easy. We basically had, um, well, let me back up a second. So we, when we first got started, we didn't really need a dedicated product management team, mostly because we were dealing in a lot, a lot of our engineering team had kind of firsthand experience from past jobs of kind of the, the work that we were doing, um, either by working at a large medical record vendor or working at another kind of health tech startup or, or something to that effect. So we didn't, um, we had a strong kind of intuition on the team about, you know, we're building tools for developers. So we have a good user empathy already because we're making uh, developer tools. And um, so for that reason, we, got to kind of kick the can around down, down the road pretty far in terms of setting up a product management team. Um, but about three years in or so, um, one person on our engineering team who was very kind of business savvy and very comfortable going in front of customers and was already sort of displaying a lot of those attributes was really interested in kind of getting more into that space. And so, um, he basically became our, our first kind of full-time product manager. And so he and I worked really closely together on building out roadmaps and things like you know, the, the kind of typical product management activity. Um, and then from there, I basically just, you know, he's basically kind of running the show in terms of uh, bringing on new product owners, um, kind of developing the overall strategy for the team and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I would say if I, to, to kind of distill it down to the, the steps we took, it was mostly uh, finding an engineer who was really, kind of passionate about the product, passionate about speaking with customers and fairly business savvy. So could make some informed prioritization and, and, you know, could be sort of strategic about saying yes to which things and saying no to other things. And, um, finding that person and kind of letting them run the show was, was, um, was important. I think if, if we didn't have him on the engineering team, we probably would have had to look outside and, and do that as a, as a separate hire, but, um, got super fortunate that we um, had somebody like that on the engineering team. Nice. So you separated the product and engineering, and then that looks like product works with a lot of the customers and uh, decides on the future roadmaps. And then that creates this pipeline for engineering to then devour. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So today we have um, six delivery teams. So these are your traditional scrum, two pizza teams, whatever you choose to call them. Uh, <laughs> and they have somewhere between five and eight engineers, uh, one product owner and one scrum master on, on each team. Um, and so that's kind of the, the structure that we're using to go forward. And kind of as we, as we hire in more engineers, we kind of grow one of those teams to about 10. Then it goes through mitosis or whatever and, and forms into two teams. And um, we kind of go from there. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the structure that we, that we take today. Now, do you have separate, actual fully separate products or do you take like your API product and take features and make product teams out of like the most used features areas? Yeah, it, we try to base it around um, user groups effectively. Yeah. Um, so we have one team that is uh, uh, some of the, because we're so kind of infrastructure based, some of our, some of our users are actually like services. Um, so, <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes it gets a little, sometimes the robots are the users, but, um, uh, so we have one team that's focused on kind of system performance and just, um, stability and, and, and resilience. Um, we have one team that's really focused on developing tools for our own internal teams. Um, so we're doing a lot of 
kind of the, from like the customer success and the implementation standpoint, uh, we have to connect up with all these different health systems and they're all using um, very non-standard standards and, you know, FTPing us flat files of things and we have to get that all into um, a consistent format. And so we have a lot of tools to allow our, our implementation engineers to, to be able to do that. Um, and then, yeah, we have another group that's more focused on kind of the, the end user experience through our dashboard and through our website, uh, kind of the developer experience of API docs and developer tools and things like that. Now I'm curious, and I'm, I'm turning this into like half a knowledge call for me. <laughs> I'm thinking like if I've got these questions and I'm around this size and there's going to be other people who have them, for sure. For sure. We'll, use, we'll include your advice in the book and it'll be really awesome. Okay, so do you have, does, at this stage of your company, do you have designers on each team? Like how do you handle design quality within each product? Yeah, so we're fortunate perhaps um, <laughs> that our, you know, our, our, our product is fairly backend intensive. I think if you were to look at our GitHub repos, you would see um, like <laughs> not very much CSS, I guess. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're, most of what we're designing would be more of an interaction with the API and like a developer experience, right? So if, if you don't have a required field, like how do we respond to you? How do we air that out? Those kinds of things, like th that's where we do a lot of design. Um, from a visual standpoint, um, it's fairly it's fairly functional based in terms of, you know, we have error logs, message logs, kind of standard analytics and set up your endpoint and security and things like that. But um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly, uh, fairly functional oriented uh, uh, type type design on the on the front end side of things um, but in terms of how that design actually happens we uh, from a technical standpoint we we do sort of the I don't know if this is I think it's fairly standard um, kind of design doc review process so we have um, for any kind of major piece of development before we actually start doing the development we'll put together a kind of full design doc and we have the tech leads on each of the delivery teams uh, meet up um, Tuesdays and Thursdays for an hour and a half to review any of the design docs that, that came up that week. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of a, a pretty, um, and, and one, one really important thing that we started doing, uh, not from the beginning, we kind of learned that this was important, was that we started putting design doc authoring into like the story points for the, for the scrum. So a lot of people, you know, if you if it's not actual development, they don't actually count it towards their velocity and things like that. But it meant that the work was really not getting prioritized. So we started basically making, basically making like Jira cards for, um, for putting things into the into the sprint for actually working on the the documentation. Yeah, we we ran into that issue with Pivotal. It's like certain things don't count and like right. their priority, and so people aren't incentivized to to complete exactly. them. And it's like it's great to have them have a high preference or high structure in there. But at the same time, it's like, it, we're, we're working around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the best way possible. So you ever look at like companies like Stripe because they're a company that had huge success with APIs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think some of the, some of our sort of like, uh, inspiration type companies, uh, Stripe, um, Twilio, um, luckily our chief security officer came from Twilio, so we got to <laughs> have a little bit of an inside view there. Um, and then uh, also the, from 
So we get, we get compared to Stripe a lot, but actually there's a company that's way more similar to us in the financial space called Plaid. Um, and they're, they're super cool. They're, they're, um, so whenever you like transfer money out of Coinbase or Robinhood or one of those into your bank account, they're the ones actually brokering that, that, that kind of transfer. Um, and so they're similar to us in the sense that they're connecting up consumer facing applications with these institutional, um, kind of on-prem style, uh, banks with, they're using kind of legacy and industry specific standards. So, um, yeah, so those are, those are some of the ones that I would say we, uh, we get compared to kind of, kind of frequently. Nice. Yeah. Cause I, I found Stripe like within the first couple months of it existing, right. Cause I was having this problem with what was that, um, authorized.net. <laughs> like it was just the worst thing in the world. And then someone's like, Hey, check out Stripe. And so I followed them and one of, one of like my thoughts about why they were so successful is, is just personal was they were super easy to use and get started and they were beautiful. They like spent so much time on their documentation. It made it so easy for developers to learn with what they had. And so I, whenever I hear of like companies that are highly based on APIs, I'm mm -hmm. always like, Oh dude, you guys making your stuff look beautiful like Stripe. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There was definitely, you know, some early days where, where we, uh, uh, we we definitely got some some strong inspiration from a lot of their documentation on how we set up our, our stuff. You sure. got it, dude. You yeah. you just have to. It's yeah. it's like it's like music, right? Like the the next generation of music builds on the previous generation. Exactly. So you can't not build upon it. Like you have to. That's us doing our jobs, right? So yeah, what like or who right now are you really looking for? Your company's growing, so you're definitely looking for different types of talent. I always like to give people a shout out for the type of talent that they're looking to attract. So like we, we know we talked about your um, redoxiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we know like the style of people, but, but what type of uh, hard skills are you looking for a lot right now? Yeah. So you sort of asked before and I, I, I don't, I didn't quite give you a straight answer on, on kind of, you know, or do we have like multiple products or just like one product with multiple features? And we're, we're at a point now where we're, starting to look into, you know, product two and product three and, and starting to think about growing that way. Um, so we are actually starting to, and, and some of those are going to be a little bit more user facing. Um, so uh, we are actually looking for some more front end uh, oriented folks, both kind of UI designers as well as more front end engineers. Um, and then the other big area that I would say is, uh, I guess two big areas. So uh, on the, kind of DevOps or infrastructure side, um, growing that team for sure. Uh, so we've, over the past year, we had kind of a, I think it was almost a 10 X, uh, volume increase in terms of the number of transactions we were handling. Um, and meanwhile also had about a, I think it was a six X, uh, improvement in kind of throughput and performance. Um, so at any rate, we're, we're, um, we're doing a lot to stay in front of our growth. Uh, from an from a infrastructure standpoint. So both from kind of the traditional um, DevOps working with our AWS environment as well as uh, CI, CD pipeline um, type teams, definitely trying to grow there as well as um, we're about to spin up a new uh, data science team um, specifically focused on some really interesting problems that we are pretty uniquely positioned to solve based on kind of the network that we provide and the kind of data that we're transacting. Um, so there's some really, really interesting uh, and, and really fun problems to try to tackle from a from a machine learning and data science standpoint. Nice. So is there anything else that that you wanna that you wanna get out there into the world? Uh, 
to, to follow up on the people, the um, DevOps is growing. You're hiring some front end engineers. Obviously, continuous integration is important. Uh, and then you're looking to do a data science team. But if people are listening right now and they want to actually like take that step and reach out and, and like contact you or the team, how would they do that? Yeah. So, um, so our website is redoxengine.com. So R E D O X E N G I N E redoxengine.com. And, uh, we have a careers page there. Um, feel free to apply there. You can also just, uh, uh, find me on Twitter or LinkedIn or any of those. I'm sure we can post some of the social links and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, and and feel free to to reach out or, or apply. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. And then for you personally, as we wrap up, I, I want to know like, where's where's the first touch of technology like in your life? Like, did you was it was it a video game, computer? Like, when did you first start interact or a blender? <laughs> <laughs> when did you first start interacting uh, with technology? Yeah, so this is like even before I can remember, but. I, my mom always would tell me that I, I just kind of chronically would disassemble things in the house and then like try to reassemble them with like whatever screwdriver I could find or anything like that. So I definitely had like a, an early interest in figuring out how things worked. Um, and I think the first real kind of, uh, where I kind of felt the power of, of, uh, getting inside of some technology was uh, pretty early on. I think it was seven or eight or something like that. I was playing a playing a video game really early, like MS DOS days, and realized like I could find the config file and could make like could change my like guy's like strength from you know ten to a hundred and, and like destroy everybody or whatever. And um, <laughs> I remember like that moment being like, oh yeah, you can just change anything. This is awesome. And and so started getting really into um, you know seeing what I could find and seeing what I could manipulate at that point. And, um, you know, similarly just trying to figure out how things worked and, and, um, you know, trying to get to the, get to an understanding of, of sort of how all the pieces fit together. Were you able to get the things back together? Um, for the most part. Most part. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I was really good at disassembling things. And then once I got my answer to, Oh, that's how it works. I'd be like, all right, see you later. (laughs) Yeah. And now you have, a broken toaster on your. <laughs> 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 exactly. I know. I, I once looked at taking apart a microwave and I thought, this could kill me. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I drew the line. I was like, I won't do the microwave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This, is, this has really been fantastic hanging out and talking with you. Uh, what's, what's like, and I'm just going to get one more question in here because it's just on my mind. <laughs> it, like, if you're going to look back at the past five years and sort of consolidate everything to like one master takeaway, right? Like what's, what's the big one and there can be many, but what's the one that pops into your head right now? Yeah. I, you know, the thing that, that kind of comes to mind for me is to, um, is really kind of, I think a lot of people tell this story of, you know, it was like three guys in a garage and then we just worked really hard and played some ping pong and then we IPO'd. And, and like the, the truth is, and there's actually a book called the messy middle sort of about this, but like the, the truth is like, there's a lot of up and d- ups and downs and um, you know, it kind of all, it kind of all goes back to uh, the people that you're around and the mission that you're trying to serve. And I think without those, the, the ups and the downs feel, you actually feel the emotion of those and but being around people that 
are all interested in the same things and all, you know, sort of oriented towards the same mission, um, makes those things just challenges or um, things to overcome rather than uh, things that become kind of emotionally taxing. And so um, I think, you know, the biggest takeaway is just kind of focus, you know, have, have a really uh, meaningful an impactful kind of 10 year vision and uh, stay pointed there and, and kind of just deal with stuff as it comes up and, and surround yourself with people you enjoy being around. And um, yeah, I think the other thing that I, I also tell people who are trying to start new companies is if you get to be choosy, pick customers that you like being around too. Um, Cause if you're going to start a company, you're going to spend a lot of time talking to your customers. If you don't enjoy that, those people, um, it's going to make your job really hard. And, and luckily, um, we get to work with some really, really great people. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably my big takeaway. I like that last piece of advice, the customers, because I didn't realize how much time, like you actually spend with the customers, yeah. like it's very important. And if you get the right, like I've had a couple customers and they refer me to their board members and like, yeah just they're they're so nice and helpful and i'm like i don't know why and like we well, just like what you do yeah and i'm like, I'm like all right well cool but it, it's like a weird feeling because i don't know it just it feels it feels good it, i guess it provides like some validity like when people tell you that they're referring you to their friends over here because they just really like your api and it solves a problem like that feels really good doesn't yeah, it for sure for sure yeah, yeah and, it, and it, um yeah we're, we're very fortunate that that we do get that happening quite a bit. And, um, yeah, it's, it's awesome that I think probably one of our, our singlest biggest, um, <laughs> pieces of referrals is actually from, uh, people's board members, you know, they're, oh, they're yeah? like, uh, it looks like successful companies are all using Redox. Maybe you should too. And, and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's super awesome to see. And, and yeah, we have, uh, I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll put in one plug here, um, towards the, uh, towards the the fall here, we're going to do, we, we do a yearly um, interoperability summit is what we call it. So it's sort of half free conference to talk a, about industry, healthcare industry stuff and, and half kind of user group meeting for us. Um, and it's going to be in Boston. And um, yeah, it's just a super cool community. Um, we had it in Denver last year and had about 300 people there and just talked about um, healthcare technology, how, um, how to sell into health systems, how to build a resilient, scalable architecture in, in healthcare and, and kind of all the different uh, kind of technical and non-technical tracks. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. We had about, yeah, like I said, we had about 300 people there last year, hoping for more this year. So um, yeah. All right, man, dude, it was fantastic hanging out with you. Next time I'm in Denver or maybe um, in Boston, cause I go there a lot to do different talks and things like that. I look forward to, to meeting you or saying hello or, however our paths cross. Yeah, for sure. This was a blast and, and thanks for having me on. And yeah, it was great to chat with you. Fantastic, man. If you need anything at all, you just email me anytime and then you and I, we will talk soon. Sounds great. See you, James. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.